I always like to start with a story. I don't know that I like to start with a story, but I like to make it personal, and that way I do. Um, and today, it's about failure. And I just had a plethora of failures. I could have just run my whole life story, and I thought, you know, where do I start? Where do I fail? Uh, well, let's see. I was born. I failed. You know, it, it just kind of has been an ongoing, delightful uh, uh, run um, where does it all start and how does it bring us to a place where we can talk about uh, failure in a way? Because I think leadership is at least in part about failure. So that's why we're going to talk about failure. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I will start. Um, I graduated from University of Virginia in 1985. I had been serving as the associate pastor of a relatively large church in downtown Charlottesville at the time, and I was going off to seminary at Candler School of Theology in, uh, in Atlanta. And so I, um, uh, my district superintendent in Virginia cut a deal with a district superintendent in Georgia, and I got a four-point charge, which in United Methodist speak means I had four churches uh, that I served about 150 miles from Atlanta. Um, rural churches, I've told you the names before, um, and when I went there, they were doing what a good United Methodists do, which is to say every other uh, Sunday, two of the churches had worship, and then the next Sunday, the other two churches had worship. Well, I said, nobody does it that way. We are just going to have worship every Sunday. If I have to show up every Sunday to do it, fine. And by the way, you all don't want to have communion every Sunday, but I think communion every Sunday is important, so we'll have a separate service first thing on Sunday morning for communion. And by the way, I'd never done this before, but in the southern world, you have a Sunday evening service every Sunday, uh, except for the fourth Sunday, because New, Har New Harmony didn't want to come back for, a fourth, uh, for another time during the day. So perfectly fine with me that New Harmony, which was neither new nor harmonious, I know, haha, but, uh, you know, wasn't interested. So I went and I said, yeah, let's do six services a Sunday. So uh, I can do it. And, you know, I was 23, and I was convinced that I could do it. And I could, until I burned out two years later. And I, uh, in an attempt to save a failing first marriage, I applied to law school and was accepted and moved to Charlottesville because I was going to go to law school. Only uh, I needed a job in the interim for the year between then and then, so I took a job uh, Selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. Epic fail. You want to talk about epic failure? Epic failure in my life. I failed at uh, selling Kirby vacuum cleaners worse than any other previous person had ever failed. I, I, you know, don't we have to tell stories like that? You know that we are the worst. No, no, mine's worse than yours. You know, uh, epic failure at selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. Finally, I became uh, a customer service representative for a doctor's billing agency out of UVA hospital. So I got to call people and say, you know that surgery you had? You got to cough up some cash for that bad boy. You know, uh, and if you can't cough up some cash, we can put you on a payment plan. Oh, you're really that bad off? You know, okay, well, maybe not. 
epically failed at billing people. I don't think they collected anything. They paid me. I don't think they ever collected anything from my work for them for six months. So then I decided this is not really for me. So then I took a job as a customer service representative for the insurance side. Blue Cross Blue Shield of the National Capital Area moved to Washington, actually Maryland, lived there, worked at uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of the National Capital Area in the Federal Employees Program and, uh, you know, talked to lots of customer service people, you know, who called in, usually very angry because they didn't get what they thought they were supposed to get. And I got to, now the problem was I had a background as a pastoral person, so periodically when a person would call in very angry, if you curse at me, I'm allowed to hang up on you. I didn't like that route. So if you curse at me, I started to say, you know, human beings don't act like this. We, let me just tell you a little bit about the foundation of all goodness and the humanity. Oh, first time I did that, my supervisor called me over. She'd been listening on the phone. Come over and sit down with me, James. We're taking you off the phone for a little while. Taking you off the phone for a little while. We don't lecture our customers about what it means to be human. And I said, wait a second, I, I, it wasn't really a lecture. I was inviting them into the human race. It was apparent to me they hadn't figured it out yet. Um, so needless to say, they promoted me, so I didn't have to talk on the phone. I only dealt with the real problem issues uh, because, you know, apparently it's the Peter principle. You keep getting uh, elevated past. So I... I, I actually was pretty good at dealing with the, the real problem issues. If, if, if it was really bad, it would go from a customer service representative to the assistant manager, to the manager, to somebody else, and then to me. They gave me some kind of inflated title. I was really just a customer service rep, but if you give me an inflated title, the fifth person you talk to, you assume they are important. <laughs> And so I would talk to them, and I had certain powers, and I could make things happen that shouldn't have happened and other kinds of things. It was exciting, but I probably failed at that too. All this time I had found a church. I had come back to United Methodism. I took a couple years off during that period of time because I was just not, you know, when you leave under a cloud of uh, uncertainty and your bishop writes you a letter and says, this is a failure. You cannot leave ministry. You are a failure. You cannot leave ministry. You have to stay. You owe us. Bishop Blackburn. A lot of people have stories about him. In any case, um, that was my story. And so uh, I'm feeling, you know, so I'm doing some counseling to try to figure out what's wrong with my life, you know, pastoral counseling. I'm going to this local church. And my counselor finally just says to me, they're not supposed to say things to you. But they say things. Sometimes mine said to me, James, I t I'll tell you what the problem is. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Every time you talk to me, you're, you're calling his ministry boy. Why are you trying to sell vacuum cleaners, be a customer service rep? You know, you got to, you know, you know. And I said, Kareen, you are so full of it. And so then I applied to seminary to finish off because I only did two years when I was at Candler. And since I was in Washington, I went to Wesley and I applied to Wesley and uh, they accepted me. They were crackheads, you know, but uh, they accepted me. And so I went, I went back to seminary and the rest is sort of history. I met Linda there and uh, 
No, that's not a failure. That's, you know, every once in a while you succeed. But you see, sometimes failure leads to the place you're supposed to be. Sometimes you have to fail a few times to get to the place where you're supposed to be. And you have to learn from those failures, and you have to move on. Now, I want to bring our attention to two different stories in the Bible. They're very close to one another, actually. Uh, they're at the tail end today. We're looking at Matthew at the, very, uh, at the very end of chapter 26, and then we're picking up in chapters 27. This is after, uh, you know, Jesus has been betrayed in the garden, and uh, it's the morning, and beginning in verse four, uh, 69 of chapter 26. Meanwhile, P Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant woman came to him and said, you also were Jesus the Galilean. And he denied it in front of them, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when he went out over to the gate, another woman saw him and said to those who were standing with him, this was man was with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. With a solemn pledge, he denied it again, saying, I don't know the man. A short time later, those standing there came and said to Peter, you must be one of them. The way you talk gives you away. Then he cursed and swore. Now this is, this is Peter, the foundation of the church. Then he cursed and swore. Apparently the Bible didn't feel the need to tell us what he said, but it was probably really crude and rude. He was a fisherman. <laughs> that was his life. So he probably had some real choice words to say and says, I don't know the man. Maybe after you curse and swear, people are pretty convinced. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. Uh, and at that very moment, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered Jesus' words, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people uh, reached the decision to have Jesus put to death. They bound him, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he felt deep regret. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I did wrong because I betrayed an innocent man. But they said, what is that to us? That's your problem. Judas threw the silver pieces in the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. All right. We have two people who failed. Now, some people would say one failed bigger than the other one. We got Judas. We got Peter. You know, but they can both respond. Judas regretted it. Uh, Peter regretted it, wept uncontrollably, and repented. Now, I have heard all sorts of reasons why Judas was always condemned and it's all over for him. I don't know that God. I'm sorry, I don't know that God. That's not who I know. The no God I know, if Judas had said, God, forgive me, I was wrong. Just like that. Just like that. Killed my son in all. Fine. You're forgiven. Judas' response was to kill himself because of his failure. Peter's response was to found the church. Now, let's just be honest. Peter had some detours. If we're really honest, Peter goes back, if we follow the Gospel of John in the 21st chapter, Peter goes back to fishing because he doesn't know what to do with himself after Jesus is dead. And even after he's raised, he doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He goes out and goes back to what he knows. 
But ultimately, Jesus shows up and says, dude, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? So the challenge of failure is not whether it's going to happen, because if you're in this room and you haven't failed, I'd like you to raise your hand. Never failed in your life, not even once. Not, well, Malcolm, I, I know you probably, probably true, probably absolutely true, but for most of us, it has happened. You're going to be, keep being alive? It'll probably happen. So uh, the reality of life is that we fail. The challenge is how will we respond to it? Now, God is this, I, I am just, I, I'm just amazed at God. We call this the Bible. I think we'd be more accurate to call it the big book of failure. Because person after person after person in this book drops the ball, messes up, screws up. Why don't we just tell the stories, why don't we just tell the story of the people who succeed? Because that's not who we are. <laughs> that's not who we are. It tells the stories over and over again of people that fail. And they have an opportunity to do something about it. And some of them do, and some of them don't. But they're all given a chance to get back up. Let me tell you what, it takes real courage to fail, but it takes real courage to get back up too. Now listen, this is not about me, but about... Six years ago, St. James was very courageous. Some people said stupid. Um, more than one person told me, stupid. Uh, we started a process to sell our old building. The old building that used to be where St. James Plaza is now. There used to be this other church building that used to be St. James. And we sold that building. Uh, and it took three years, and it was the most painful three years of our... We sold it, but then there was three years of the contract. And so people were like, well, are we moving? Well, they're still studying it. You know, the people who buy it, it was all in their favor. We couldn't walk away, but they could at any point. So, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But we did this really dare-to-fail big. Who sells a perfectly good building? Apparently St. James does. So, and we did, and it's gone, and now there's 92 uh, affordable housing units right where our building used to be, and we're about 575 feet from where we used to be because God is good and because we chose to risk failing big because we felt like that's what God invited us to do, not commanded us, invited us. Do you have faith enough to step out? And I must tell you that there were a number of times during the three years before we finally closed when I said to God, I'll just go back to Egypt now. <laughs> I would just, can we have the flesh pots of slavery in Egypt? If you don't know what that's a reference to in Exodus, after Moses leads the people out of slavery, they're wandering around in the wilderness, they said, at least we had three squares back at home. <laughs> you know, back in slavery. We'd rather go back. Can you take us back? ungrateful, ungrateful, because it's hard. It's hard to get to the promised land. Took a lot of risk. Stepping out in faith, a lot of risk. Right before the parting of the Red Sea, a lot of risk. You're standing there. The Egyptian army's there. The Red Sea's there. What's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to have faith. If you don't risk failure, 
there's a good chance you won't succeed very big. You'll have a very unremarkable life. Not a life that isn't loved by God. That's not even possible. You are already loved by God. I tell you this all the time. There will be clergy people who would tell you otherwise. I just don't think they've read the Bible. But, you know, uh, that, or they at least didn't interpret it my way. God already, already, already loves you. You just need to know that. God would like you to love God back. That's what God wants. That's what God hopes for. That's what God dreams of. But if you don't, God's going to keep loving you, keep chasing after you, keep running after you relentlessly. Never give up. Never surrender. Because that's God. God loves you. God loves me. All of us. But unless we risk failure, sometimes we might not get where we need to be. Now, I'm not sure I ever really risked failure. It just turned out that the things I did were pretty big failures. You know, the one thing I really succeeded at, and I keep thinking maybe I should go back to doing that, was waiting tables. I forgot that. Right after I left ministry and before I got a, a real job, I, I was waiting tables. I made more per hour than I've ever made in my life, waiting tables. And all I had to do was show up at people's table, chat with them a bit, <laughs> something I'm totally good at, you know, chat with them about whatever they wanted to talk about. They could talk about politics. I could be with them. They could talk about God. I could be with them. They're like, you know a lot about God, you know, a waiter. Yeah, well... <laughs> If you only knew. In any case, you know, we'd have, you know, can you recommend a good wine? Sure I can. This, you know, let's try this. Uh, you know, smooth enough, walk away from the table, lots of money. You know, just keep them happy, make sure that the kitchen cooks what they ask for, and everything's good. And you go home and you're not worried about, well, how will we pay the bills tomorrow or anything like that because it's done. However, that was not what God wanted for me. That was not what God wanted for me. Apparently, God wanted me to do this ministry thing. There are some days, I have to say to myself and to God, I think I misunderstood you somewhere. 27, 28, 29 years ago, I think I misunderstood you, and I listened to that therapist way too much. Maybe I should be back at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, the National Capital Area, now care first. Uh, I don't think so. This is what I'm called to do. But I had to fail a lot to figure out what it was God wanted me to do. Uh, now, I'm not telling you to all go out and intentionally fail. I'm just not sure that that's what God's calling us to do. But almost anything you try in life, you're going to fail. And real leaders know that that's a reality. Real leaders know that you set an objective and you do your best to prepare for that objective and you lay out all the plans. We've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. You try to be prepared to be a good leader, but, but, you don't control all the conditions. You can't make everything happen. In a perfect world, you don't have one of those. In a perfect, you don't have one of those. In a, but, in a perfect, there is no perfect world. There's a good world. We're in this place God looked at and ultimately said, that's very good. Almost like you can see God patting God's self on the back. That was very good. Very good. <laughs> We're going to fail. But leaders don't let failure have the last word in their lives. Followers of Jesus 
don't let failure have the last word in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean you don't mourn the loss. You don't say, wow, I put so much into that. You know, I, I, I poured myself into that thing. I was the stinking, gone Kirby salesman known to humanity on paper. Well, not even on paper, in my own mind. I was a legend in my own mind. Just not when it came to selling Kirby vacuum cleaners, you know. But I left some people's houses really wicked clean. I could demonstrate the suction power of that bad boy. You know, cast aluminum. It's got a cast aluminum and it's... You know, it's Back in my day when I was selling them, if it ever broke down, and it never did. But if it did, for $99, they'd give you a brand new one. They'd rebuild and give you a new one. They don't do that anymore. Apparently, they don't build them like they did at the time that they originally built them. But if you pay, what, $1,800 for a vacuum cleaner to start, why couldn't I sell an $1,800 vacuum cleaner? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it sucked a lot, but, you know, <laughs> not that much. So, uh, not all the cash out of your wallet, apparently. Um, so, so, how many of you are willing to risk the big failures in your life? To step out in the kind of faith that it takes to say, you know what? I'm going to do my best, but this may not work out. This may not work out. You know, I was sent to St. James to fail. And I'll tell you why. When they sent me to St. James, they told me in two years it's going to close. The average age of uh, everybody who goes to St. James when I came to St. James in 1992, average age was like 75, 73, 74, somewhere in there. I, I didn't ask. A lot of them were females. I was trained. You don't ask women their age. Some of them volunteered. If they crossed 100, those people would tell me in a second, I'm 105. Otherwise, I didn't ask. You know, I didn't ask, don't tell. But it was like 75, 76. There's nothing wrong with that age, except that the longevity of the church is not big. They said two years, James. You closed the church in two years. I failed. <laughs> I failed big. <laughs> Close the church in two years. We won't hold it against you. We'll send you somewhere else. You know, it's okay. Well, 27 26 and a half years later, here I am still. And the church is still here. That was God. That was God. And we did some risky things in those early days. We started contemporary worship. You know, like nobody had heard of that, especially in the United Methodist Church. You like contemporary worship. I tried to visit. We, tried, we sent the leadership team out to visit other churches that had contemporary worship. One of the experiences, we went to a Baptist church that had a contemporary service on it's nothing against the Baptists. I love the Baptists. So does Jesus. But we went to a Sunday night service at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Contemporary service. Pastors in serious robes. Very formal. When it comes time to sing, he played the guitar. We sang traditional hymns in the same dirge-like style that I was used to with the organist, except that we did it with the guitar. And I thought, I don't think we can do contemporary worship at St. James. I don't have a guitarist who can play a dirge. But the next thing you know, we, we started contemporary worship. And it way out surpassed within two years the number of people who were coming to traditional worship. And then eventually the traditional worship said, we don't want the 11 o'clock slot anymore because it's not fair to the contemporary who's like 
60 times our size. How about if we move to 8 o'clock? We'd rather come early anyway. Okay. So, I mean, all of these possibilities of failure, these are not about me. This is what God can do with the failures you're supposed to have in life, with the things that sort of come your way. You choose whether you get back up again. You choose whether you face tomorrow and how you face tomorrow and with what attitude you face tomorrow. There are, there's Peter who kept on failing. God bless that boy. God bless that boy. Say, you want somebody who can say something stupid at the most crucial moment? Call Peter. Have him come and show up at your show. You never know what's coming out of that boy's mouth. It's kind of like me. Invite me to your show. You don't know what I'm going to say. It might happen. But uh, Peter got back up again. Judas. Now, Judas had a pretty big failure. But God could have used his failure. God could have used his failure. And could have used Judas again, I'm convinced. At least the God I know. If God can use me, epic failure of a Kirby salesman that I am, <laughs> to preach the word of God at uh, St. James and be a part of this congregation, lead this congregation for 26 and a half years, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. And he will. So, I guess what I need to ask you is, are you willing to fail? Are you willing to give it your best, to be bold, to trust that wherever God is leading is probably outside of the parameters of your mind? Moses is talking to a burning bush. I want you to go and lead my people out of Egypt. Dude, have you seen the Egyptian armies? <laughs> One dude. And by the way, do you know I've got a stammering issue? We think Moses did. And God said, yeah, yeah. And so Moses risked. We've got to be willing to risk as a congregation. It's, it's, it's risky to have the West End Food Pantry next door. It's not that risky. What are we doing? Giving some food out to some people who need it. It's not risky. What if one week there's not enough food? Because everybody on the west end of Alexandria is suddenly hungry. What's going to happen? Well, we're going to have to trust that God will provide. We're going to have to trust that God will provide. Trust big, sometimes fail big, but have the courage to know that God is with us enough to help us get back up again. Failure doesn't have to be the end. It can be if you lay down and give up. But it doesn't have to be if you get back up and trust that God will lead you into the next thing, whatever that is. And that's what courage to fail is all about. And that's for St. James and that's for you in your personal lives.